this hope that we're talking about is not this or this, all right? That's not our hope. Our hope is certain. And so often when we approach things and uh, we are in trouble, and etc., you know, is our hope like this? Or is it with a firm knowledge that Jesus is with us and that he will always do what he wants to do in and through our lives and come up for us? That's our hope. Our hope is certain. Praise God. So if any of you are going through things at the moment that no one else knows about, your hope is in Jesus. And Jesus is certain. Amen? Be encouraged. As Dave said, the whole thing about uh, discipleship, and uh, we spoke about last week about our perfect person that we can look at and look to, and it's Jesus. He showed humility, submission, meekness, obedience, devotion, and alertness. These were the things, these were the markers of this uh, man, Jesus Christ, who we follow and we serve. And so when it comes to an example, he is the perfect example for us to follow. And that's how we should be. We should show those things. Servanthood is so important in the church of Jesus Christ today. You know, many, many years ago, teachers, um, my teachers when I was a kid, on a Saturday morning would come out in the morning, Saturday morning, with their car and pick up all these kids and take them to a football match to play. They did that most weeks. They did it because they wanted to do it. Okay, why did they want to do it? Well, I presume they wanted to give us boys, us kids, an opportunity, okay, to play football. And so they were willing to give of their time to come out and do it. Things have turned full circle so that today, if you're going to do anything, you've got to pay for it. Got to pay for it. That's not how the Christian should serve. The Christian should be someone who gives of their life freely to all those around about them in the church of Jesus Christ. And as we are all together in this, we are one, as we've been reminded this morning, we come and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ in this place, and we serve as disciples, we serve as servants. I spoke about what a disciple is, and uh, Dave marked on this the first week he spoke. Talked about being slaves, and uh, talked about this whole area of um, slavery and how the world and how we view slavery. People went through great, I paid a great price to bring and help bring uh, freedom to those who are enslaved uh, in the world. Today, many, many people throughout the world are still enslaved. And sometimes when we talk about slavery, we can get the complete wrong idea when it comes to being servants of Jesus Christ. We can completely get the wrong idea about, oh, I'm not a slave. We shouldn't have slaves. Okay? But we are a slave. The moment we gave our life to Jesus, we gave up, as it were, ourselves. We came and we bowed down at the foot of the cross and we said, Lord, save me. Do whatever you want in my life. That is the marker of a disciple who follows Jesus, even though we may have been on the road many years. 
David Watson, I said last week, said this, Christians in the West have largely neglected what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The vast majority of Western Christians are church members, pew fillers, hymn singers, sermon tasters, biblical readers, even born-again believers or spiritual charismatics, but not true disciples of Jesus. If we were willing to learn the meaning of true discipleship and actually become disciples, the church in the West would be transformed and the result and impact on society would be staggering. Can we get a hold of that and ask ourselves the question, where am I? when it comes to servanthood and where it comes to being a disciple. Discipleship is an important issue if people in the church are to mature and are to grow. So, the second point I was going to make was this. How does discipleship translate today? What does discipleship look like? The noun disciple appears... Uh, no less than 264 times in the Gospels and the book of Acts. And if you look in a Bible dictionary, it says this. The word is, uh, the disciple means, is mathetes or mathetes. And this literally uh, means a learner and denoting someone who follows one's teaching. Now, as a, as a, as a boy, as a young man, I went uh, to be a, um, an apprentice carpenter and joiner. And, um, and this, uh, this meaning has a lot to do with the same roots, the same meaning. And uh, it, in the secular setting, methetes means an apprentice in some sort of trade, a student of some subject or a pupil of some teacher. And so as an apprentice, you are taught, as I was, taught the basics. How to maintain your tools, the use, safety, knowledge of materials, manufacture methods, etc. All seems rather ordinary, dull, um, but, and routine. But actually, there is a vital uh, understanding of the trade you're in. You need invite those things to be a true apprentice, to be a true tradesman in the, the work that you are an apprentice to. I um, recently, my mum and dad have had some work done in their house, down the side of their house. And I was watching a guy uh, make a side gate. And um, you know these sorts of gates where they've got boards going downwards with me so far? And then on the back of the, the, the gate, you've got rails going along. Okay. So this gate was 1.2 metres wide. And all it had on it was the rails on it. It had no braces. All right. So the whole point about this gate is if you put a gate on, you hang it on hinges, the weight of the gate will drop. Well, the gate will drop down and it will catch and not work properly. And as I saw this guy making this, this gate, as I sort of passed every now and again, I thought, surely he's going to put some braces on the gate. But no, he didn't. So what did that tell me? 
It told me that he hadn't been an apprentice. It told me that he didn't know the first things, the basics of construction and of the materials he was using. And you know, there's so much that you can see in people's lives when it comes to being a disciple. And you can see that there are certain issues in their life that are completely missing. Why? Because either they haven't had the opportunity to be a disciple, or they haven't listened to what people have said. That may seem really, really harsh. But it was clear to me that this person wasn't a tradesman. If he was, he hadn't listened to anything. Because the, the job that he was doing was not going to work. And I want to say that if we are not disciples, our Christianity will not work. If we look at life today, if we look, for example, at marriage, there are certain things in people's lives, in marriages, that you know are not working. Why? Because they haven't been discipled. We see the way that kids are brought up today and we can see how they may rule the house or whatever. We can see that there are problems and maybe there are discipleship problems. This may seem all very hard and judgmental. But the one over the point I'm trying to make is this. If we don't get it right in our lives, we just continue on the same way that we are living and we will not change because we're not being discipled. Discipleship is absolutely vital when it comes to our Christian walk with Jesus. Jesus had disciples who spent three years walking with him. And they were not the perfect bunch that you could pick out. But Jesus chose them. Jesus chose you and he chose me. Discipleship, servanthood is really vital. And we as a church will not grow until we get discipleship right. Until we get servanthood right. There are many difficulties in our lives. Some of which are not our fault. You know, I have children that um, are like me. Yes. Are like me. Why? They like me because I have discipled them. Your children are like you because you discipled them. <laughs> Stop it, Eric. <laughs> you know, and we sometimes wonder, why is it that kids, our kids are so like us? You know? And uh, so they pick up my strengths. They pick up my weaknesses. Okay? We are discipling people whether we like it or not. And when we think about the people that we are producing in the church family, it is so important that we are disciples, first of all, and secondly, that we are also disciplers. It's not just about discipling someone else. It's about me being discipled by someone else. And that whole process is so, so important in the church of Jesus Christ. A disciple is literally a learner. 
and a follower or an apprentice. And a disciple is not only a pupil, but also a follower and a devotee. The people we follow, are we devoted to them? William Barclay wrote this, It is impossible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. To be a camp follower without being a soldier of the king. To be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man, he said, so-and-so tells me that he was one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly, he may have attended my lectures, but he was never one of my students. There was a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It is one of supreme handicaps of the church that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few disciples. True discipleship causes the church to grow up in maturity and outward in service and in evangelism. The aim of every Christian should be the same as that of the Apostle Paul, who said in 1 Colossians 1, 28-29, that I might present every man mature in Christ. Our job is to make sure that the people around us are maturing in Christ. A discipleship involves relationship. And as the Christian life is not meant uh, to be a solitary walk, God places us, each one of us, in a church to be a member of the body of Christ and to grow alongside others. It is clear also from the letters which Paul sent to the early churches that the human, that the human element cannot be ignored in discipleship process. We all need to learn. Some of us learn quick, some of us learn slow, and some of us in between. But the important thing is to learn. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and warns them about their way of life in 1 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Imitate me. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. The importance of seeing the part that we play in other people's lives. Could we say, follow me, as I do things, you do them. That is a huge and a huge great big challenge. The church needs mothers and fathers. I was listening to something yesterday. And this sort of captivated me as I listened. The church needs mothers and fathers. There is often an emphasis on having the best of everything. Experts in this and experts in that. And then the church will succeed. But what we really need is mums and dads who will love and encourage without judgment. We can look at this place and say, we haven't got this. We haven't got that. We haven't got the other. But the thing of it is, is what we need is mums and dads. When I say that, I mean mums and dads are people of maturity. Doesn't that mean to say that their age state at all? Doesn't mean that. But we need mums and dads, people who have gone through things, people who have experienced things, people who can pass on 
help and support and encouragement to the people around them. Have we got mums and dads in this place? Are you a mum and dad? The church should be in the business of raising sons and daughters. We can often say we need more teachers. And yes, we do need good teaching. But what we really need is for mothers and fathers to grow sons and daughters. This is a part of the whole process of discipleship and servanthood. What are we doing to produce young people in the faith, etc.? What are we doing to raise sons and daughters who can stand on their own two feet, who will ultimately become mothers and fathers? And so the process goes on. Jesus did not choose his disciples like other rabbis did. They chose from the, those from the best universities and the schools of the day to be their disciples. But Jesus chose Peter. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> he chose Thomas. Good old Delta. He chose John. And he chose James. The sons of thunder. I wonder why they were called sons of thunder. Probably because they were hot-headed. Probably because they had an opinion to say. Probably because they wanted their way. It's important, isn't it, that Jesus chose these people to be his disciples. Does that sort of make you think, well, <laughs> I'm a bit like that. <laughs> why would Jesus choose me? Why would Jesus look at me and ask me to do this or to do that? I'm just... And we can feel perhaps just like the disciples must have felt like and when they were Jesus, getting it wrong all the time. For example, James and John, we just talked about sons of thunder. First of all, in Mark uh, 10, we see that uh, they were extremely ambitious. They said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. I want to be in the top place, Lord. I want to be on, your, you know, on the left and to the right of you. Can you do that for us? They were extremely ambitious. And you know, people in the church, the people that we mix with, not us of course, but the people around us, okay, where it can be really ambitious. I want to be this. I want to stand at the front. I want to lead worship. I want to, I want to do this. Okay. And they're the sort of people we, we, we rub shoulders with day by day. James and John were also fiery and judgmental. When uh, the people um, uh, heading for Jerusalem, when Jesus was, when he was on the, on the way through it, he said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Zap them, Lord. Okay? And sometimes, you know, there, are you like that? <laughs> Just get the problem solved. Stamp on them. Okay? That's where they're the people we rub shoulders day by day. This is a picture of church. Yeah. Also, John was competitive. Not only was he ambitious and fiery and judgmental, John was competitive. When they were running to the tomb of Peter, legging it, okay? Peter and uh, John ran. John wasn't going to be beaten. 
I'm going to get more for that slow coach, Peter. Hey! And John went and reached the tomb first, just looked in. Peter, though, he, when he got there, <laughs> at the end there, when he got there, he went in and sorted and whatever. John was competitive. Now, we live and we rub shoulders, we sit with people who may be judgmental, maybe fiery, maybe competitive, and many other things as well. Jesus surrounded himself with these people, and he spent three years rubbing shoulders with them, rubbing them the bits off the corners, bringing them to a place where when Jesus went into heaven, okay, and the church was going to be run by this motley crew, the Holy Spirit came, boy, did it change everything. But Jesus had spent the time with them. Does that show you the people in the church that you sit by every week? Maybe people like that and other characteristics as well. We need to rub shoulders. We need to help and support one another. We do not let need people just to live on their own and get on with it. We need to help and support people. Jesus spent this time with these guys and they become mighty and forceful in the power of the church in the early church. So discipleship then needs means shaping up. After three years, these discipleship, these disciples grew up and they matured. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus describes the disciples in the context, or discipleship rather, in the context of a yoke. This refers to the method by which farmers uh, would train up inexperienced animals by yoking them with, some, with one animal that was more experienced. I think Dave just touched on this. You know, we need to position ourselves by the side of someone in the church to help our inexperience in all areas of our life. Do we have problems? This is just a question. Do we have problems in marriages in the church? Are there things in our marriages that we know that need putting right? We just go on and on and on and on and never ever do we face those issues. In bringing our children up, we know their problems. We know there were difficulties. We know that we are harsh. When I talk about that, I'm just saying the royal we. We are harsh. We are this or we are that. Do we ask people for help? We know that we, we, know we have problems with an anger or whatever it might be. Do we ask? Do we go to someone we can trust and Say, look, I'm finding this a real difficulty. Please help me. This is part of the process of discipleship. And if things are apparent, and if we know these things are not being dealt with, whether we are the person involved or whether we are the person on the outside, do we just let them go? Discipleship helps us deal with those issues in our life. And like I said, sometimes we can have times in our life where we haven't been treated in the church as we should have been. We talk about heavy shepherding. 
and all those sorts of things where people have put the thumb on us and have told us we've got to do this, we've got to be there, we've got to do this, we can't have this, you can't have that, and all that sort of stuff. Okay? Bad experiences of our Christian life. And we don't go down the line of heavy shepherding, but we do believe in discipleship. And I believe that we as Christians need to be really unsung about this, that we deal with the situations in our lives that we know about and that also that we see in other people. That is not to say we go to people and be judgmental, but it's through relationship, really, really important. Now we might think about our failings and uh, our weaknesses and we might doubt about how we can influence people, but God has chosen you and me to help one another. We all need shaping up. In Romans 8, verses 28 to 29, this is from the message. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. That's, that's really good, isn't it? I think that's good. God didn't just make it up as he went along. He knew right from the beginning. He knew from the beginning that his son would be put on a cross and that he would die. He knew the price that he would have to pay. He knew from the beginning. And right from the beginning, God knows you. He knew about you. He knows everything about you. He knows that on the journey of life, you need people around you to help and support you. So God knew what he was doing from the beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. What God has begun in you, part of the journey, is part of other people that are in your lives to help and support you, just as Jesus did with his disciples. And sometimes we think about our weaknesses, like I said. And we think, will people become like me with all my faults and my failings? And in a sort of a certain word, yes. <laughs> they will. But you see, the point is that if I have a weakness in some sort of area, I'm not just ignoring that. I am putting myself in a place where someone else is helping me with that issue. People are speaking into my life about some of my weaknesses and some of my things, and I am passing on what God has taught me to other people. We're all disciples. We are all disciples. All of us should be disciples. Paul and Timothy, both of us committed servants of Jesus Christ, write these letters to all the followers of Jesus in Philippi, pastors and ministers included. Pastors, ministers, youth leaders, worship leaders, parents, whatever you want to say in the church, we all need to be discipled. All of us, doesn't matter where we are and who we are, we need discipling. No matter age we are, we need, still need to be disciples. All of us should be disciples of Jesus, no matter what we do, in the church, or whatever role we may have. So what does this relationship look like? 
Relationship is based on grace. We are saved by grace, and we don't judge people by whatever they are. We do what we do through the grace, through the love of Jesus as he enables us. We treat people with relationship. We treat people with respect. And that goes both ways. So if we're in relationship with someone in discipling, okay, we respect one another. It's not that the discipler, the more senior person, is the boss and we are the other person is whatever. Okay, we, are, we treat people with mutual respect. We teach people uh, with recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ on both people. He is our Lord, discipler and disciplee, both ways. We also treat people with responsibility. We, we must be responsible for ourselves. It's always with the individual and how we receive the things that we do. And also with reference to Scripture as the foundationship for discipleship. So discipleship is not something where we have to do, we have to jump and how high whenever the people are talking to us. We are people who have brains, we have intellects, we think for ourselves. Okay, But this whole thing with relationship, with respect, recognition, responsibility and reference, really important. Being yoked to someone can be quite daunting. Like I said, if you had the experience, a bad experience in the past. And you might feel a little reluctant to put yourself in that position again. But this is the biblical pattern. And if we want to mature in Christ, it's what we have to do. Really, really important. So, thirdly, discipleship produces results. Discipleship does produce results. If there is no true discipleship, there will be no disciples. So first of all, if we want to see results, okay, in quality, first of all, quality. Quality in individual lives. Christ never intended personal growth to be just through our devotional efforts. And if we think we can do it on our own, we are believing a lie. His model was that we should be shaped up alongside others. It's not often until relationships are built that the true issues which lie beneath the surface come to light. And I know in my life, when I have yoked myself with somebody who has helped me, who has supported me, who cares for me, who really loves me, okay, when I have been with those people, I know that there are things that have been in my life that needed to be dealt with. And I've shared in the past some issues uh, regarding that. And um, it's important that we put ourselves alongside someone else and that these issues that lie beneath the surface that we like to forget, okay, but we need someone to help us. True quality in our Christian lives will involve discipleship. And that demands that we have a teachable spirit and the willingness for others to challenge things that are going on in our life. So quality in individual lives. Second part of that is quality in leadership. Unless the issues of discipleship are addressed, the quality of church leadership, deacons, elders, etc., will also be affected. Bill Hanks and William Shell in the book Discipleship make this point. 
Our present short-range course of action, more often than not, breeds a sense of frustration in the lives of faithful Christian workers because of the lack of a long-range strategy. Many pastors and staff members find themselves totally absorbed in a multitude of good activities in the exclusion of the best. We find no time for training on our lay leaders for the work of the ministry. This omission leaves the pastor and his staff members without a strong base of qualified people to labour together with them in the ministries of a local church. As a result, the paid staff carries out the church's follow-up, counselling, hospital visitation and the evangelistic ministries largely on their own. Without discipleship taking place, the pressure on overseeing the work is totally unrealistic if we don't believe in discipleship. If leaders are to provide quality oversight, which is truly strategic, others need to be discipled in ministry areas. And this is what happened in Acts 6 when the apostles decided to release people to assist in the work so that they could fulfill their calling to pray, to teach, and to train. So it's really important for quality, quality in individual lives, quality in leadership, and then thirdly, quality in gifting. Without training, large numbers of people can feel undissatisfied because there is little or no opportunity for their gifts and talents to be developed. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of the body working to its full potential. This requires all the members of the body to be released. So quality of gifting comes when people are trained to take on responsibilities in areas that they are gifted in. And in most cases, the best person to help release someone in their gifting is someone, someone who is further along in that particular area. Are you putting yourself alongside someone that is further on than you? Now you talk to all the sports people in this world today, and they continue to say, it was because I put myself in a place where someone was better than me, who had more experience than me, who was better gifted than me. I put myself alongside them. I trained alongside them. I learned alongside them. Yet as Christians, we sometimes just don't get this. When we need to be with people who are further on and ahead than we are. In most cases, the best person to help release someone is to be with someone who is further along than we are and than ourselves. If people are released in their gifting without being disciples, there is often a lack of accountability. Discipleship provides a key for quality also in the church. In Luke 10, we find Jesus sent out the 72 disciples, and it's clear they were holy and accountable uh, for their ministry. They were accountable in their direction, in their action, and in their reaction. The process of discipleship, therefore, shows that true ministry is always accountable. For quantity, do we want to see the church built up? Do we just want to see more numbers come in? We want to see the, Lord, the church expanding with new people coming in with, who are come to be saved, not just from other churches, but to be saved. We want to see that, don't we? We want to see people added to the church daily. That's my prayer, okay? 
So discipleship means that the church will multiply and not just grow by addition. But um, <clears throat> we want to see this happen in our lives, don't we, in our church. Uh, Bill Ho, the discipleship-making pastor, says, let us never forget that the purpose of disciples, of disciple is making... Sorry, I'll get rid of it again. Let us forget, not forget, that the purpose of disciple-making is not disciple-making for its own sake, we aim to populate heaven to reach the most people possible with a life-saving, life-changing message of Jesus. And Billy Graham said, Paul taught Timothy. Timothy shared what he knew with faithful men. These faithful men would teach others also. And so the process goes on and on. If every believer followed this pattern, the church could reach the entire world with the gospel in one generation. Mass crusade in which I believe and to which I have committed my life will never finish the Great Commission, but a one-by-one ministry will. So in our lives, as we seek to see the church expand, it's through discipleship, it's through you and me being accountable to people around us. So just to conclude, the Lordship of Christ is ultimately demonstrated in our willingness, not only to start out, but to continue to follow Jesus to the finish line. And even when, we are go- when, even when the going gets tough. Walter Hendrickson, writing in Disciples Are Made, Not Born, uh, provides an interesting illustration of this. When Cortez landed at Vera Cruz in 1519 to believe, begin his conquest of Mexico with a small force of 700 men, he purposely set fire to his fleet of 11 ships. His men on the shore watched their only means of retreat sinking to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. With no means of retreat, there was only one direction to move forward into the Mexican interior to meet whatever might come their way. In paying the price for being Christ's disciple, you too must purposely destroy all avenues of retreat. Resolve that whatever the price for being his follower, you have to pay it. Same when Romans invaded uh, UK. They burnt the boats. No retreat. We're here to do a job. Remaining Christ means not only to walk with him, but his word it will be continue to be in us, affecting our lives each day. John 8.31 says... If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. My question, and may it may be, I don't know, serious or whatever, or hard, or I don't know what it is. I don't know whatever. Okay. But I do really believe in discipleship. I really do believe that as individuals, if we are accountable to one another, if we are people who will do what Christ showed us with his disciples who were with him for three years. If we are serious about the work in which Christ has called us, if we are serious about being true followers of Jesus Christ, we will put ourselves in a place of being a true disciple. So as we just bow our heads in prayer, I just want to ask one question. And that is, are you a true disciple?